Please take your Bible and and open with me to the book of Revelation. We are in Revelation 19, beginning in verse 1. And we are, we have talked about Revelation being a songbook of the people of God, the church victorious. We're going to look at the last couple songs in the songbook today before we move on to the ultimate defeat of the dragon and his beasts and then the ultimate glory that awaits the people of God, which we get a glimpse of today. So with that in mind, let us look to Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. After I heard after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice from the throne, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you, his servants, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let us pray. Father above, I thank you for the people that you have placed here today in this room. They love you and they love all the saints because of the hope that is theirs in Jesus Christ. As we look to this passage today, grow their hope and love. Show us Jesus in this passage and strengthen us through the hope and love that he gives. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So have you ever taken time to to really kind of look at the hymn book? or any hymn book whatsoever. I know, I know for the longest time, I always thought that the hymns in the hymn book were just kind of randomly compiled and thrown together and bound up so that they could be stuck in a box and sold to churches to be placed in the pews. But if later on, don't do it right now, but if later on you have an opportunity, look at the index or at the bottom of each page in the hymn book and you'll see that the hymns in those, in those hymn books are arranged with a certain flow, a certain logic, a certain order. Many times that order in the hymn book, at least, is is built around the the topics of systematic theology. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What have they done in this world? Many times we're tempted to look at the book of Psalms in the same way, thinking it's just a random hodgepodge of songs and poems compiled by Hebrew poets. There is definitely an order and a logic to the book of Psalms. There's an introduction in Psalm 1 and 2 that call the reader to righteousness and to trust in God's king and in God's king alone. 
Then there's a mixture of lament and praise and wisdom psalms that are heavier on the laments in the beginning of the psalms and heavier on the psalms of praise as you get nearer to the end of the book. In fact, in fact, the last five songs begin with the declaration, hallelujah, and end with the same declaration, hallelujah, which is a command to praise our God. The perceived flow is that life moves from struggle to glory, from persecution to praise. And as we have moved our way through the study of Revelation, we have seen the same flow, that life moves from struggle to glory, from persecution to praise. And today we come to the last of the songs in this great song book, song book of the saints in heaven. And these, these songs today are marked by the same word as the last five psalms. Hallelujah. And so today we will look as we see the call to worship our God in the song celebrating God's judgment and in, and in a wedding song. And in this passage, we will see that we should worship God for who he is and for what he has done. So John is called by the angel to turn his eyes, and as he turns his eyes, he hears the roar of a great multitude. Now, this term great multitude should put you in mind of chapters 4 and 5 in the book of Revelation and also Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. In both passages, John sees a great multitude gathered around the throne as a heavenly choir, lifting their voices in praise and in worship to God in verses in chapters four and five is a combination of the angelic beings and the saints in heaven in Revelation seven. It is the saints in heaven alone who are gathered around God's throne singing. John will go on to describe the sound of this multitude singing in verse six, where he says they sound like a roaring waters and crashing thunder. The picture here is that the worship songs of the people of God in heaven will echo from the farthest corners of the universe as all the angels, as all the saints of God drown out the noise of the songs of the monarchs and the merchants and the mariners from the previous passage as they lamented the fall of Babylon. The worship songs of God will drown out those laments for the things of this earth passing away. And their song is marked by a theme, and that theme is the word hallelujah. It's a word that comes to the Greek directly from the Hebrew without any translation. It shows up almost letter for letter, Greek to Hebrew in this passage. And it's a combination of two words. The first word is hallelujah, which is a command to praise. It comes from the word to praise or to worship, and it is in the imperative, in the command voice. It is a word to praise. And the second word, Yah, is the first part of God's covenantal name revealed to Moses in Exodus 3 and used in his worship throughout the Psalms and throughout the Old Testament, Jehovah or Yahweh. And four times in this passage, actually five, because it shows up in the Greek as well in verse 6, but at least four or five times in this passage, the people of God are commanded to sing praise and glory and worship to God. It's an exclamation and a call to praise. The overarching theme in these 10 verses is worship. You can see it in the song that comes from the throne or from around the throne. It could be either one there in verse six. 
where, where God's servants are called both great and small, powerful and weak, important and insignificant, are called to praise and worship our God. Your words, your actions, your thoughts in this world should be focused on the glory, the praise and the worship of God. Your words should be marked by truth and edification. Does what you, does what you say honor God and lift up others? Does what you say, is it true? Do you seek God's glory with the words that you say? Your actions should be acts of worship. Are your actions focused on loving God and loving neighbor? Or are they focused on selfishness? Your thoughts should be marked by purity and glory rather than the dirt and the filth of this world. The temptation to false worship is easy to find and easy to fall into. In verse 10, John says, At this I fell at his feet to worship him. Whose feet did he fall at? The angelic messenger that had brought him through this vision, he falls at his feet to worship. Think about that for just a moment. John, the apostle John, who spent three years with Jesus learning from his feet, has spent the last 18 chapters of the book of Revelation seeing God's sovereign plan for history being carried out in gloriously symbolic form. And he gives in to the temptation to worship somebody other than God. How easy is it for you and I to fall into that same temptation to worship the created rather than the creature? We need constant reminder, constant calls that our lives are to be lives of worship. That's what we will spend all of eternity doing. We will spend all of eternity worshiping God. The call is to begin here. The call is to begin now. And this passage, these, this, this first song that celebrates God's judgment gives us two areas, two points of focus for our worship. Number one, who he is. Number two, what he has done. We are to worship God for who he is. Oftentimes we, we get the second part of that. We get the idea that we are to worship God for what he has done. We thank him for our salvation. We thank him for answering prayer. We thank him for all the good gifts that he gives to us in our lives. But we are also to worship God simply for who he is. And in this passage today, it tells us that he is saving. He is merciful and gracious. He is glorious. He is worthy of praise and honor. He is powerful. He is omnipotent. And he is true and just. It says that salvation belongs to God. The false religions of our world empowered by the dragon and his beasts tell us that salvation is in your hands. That if you just pass some test or you just reach some level of, of human defined righteousness, you will be saved. But scripture teaches clearly from beginning to end that salvation is something that God does, that God has accomplished. And out of his mercy and grace, which is who he is, merciful and gracious, he offers salvation. One author has stated that the only thing we bring to the table of our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. And because God is who he is, he acts to save. We are also told that God is to be worshipped because glory belongs to him. 
Glory or worship belongs to God. The, the dragon and his beasts seek to trick people of the world to worship them rather than to worship God. When you worship the created rather than the creator, you steal something from God that belongs to him and to him alone. He is high and lifted up. He is glorious. He is holy, holy, holy. And we are to offer all worship and praise to him because of that glory. Power belongs to God. He is omnipotent. You and I go to kings and princes seeking their power to protect us. And yet God is omnipotent over those kings and over those princes, over those presidents, over those Congress people, over council people. He raises them up and he tears him down. What a waste of time it is for you and I to put our ultimate hope in kings and princes because God is ultimately power and all power, all authority is his and is in him. And then God is true and just. This song from the saints in heaven is a response to the command in the previous chapter in verse in verse 20 of the previous chapter where the saints are commanded rejoice saints and apostles and prophets God has judged her for the way she treated you. And that judgment is sure and deserved because God is true and just. God acts out of who he is. He has judged because he knows all things. He weighs all acts perfectly against his righteousness, against his holiness, against his goodness. And none of his judgments will ever be overturned because new evidence comes to light. His judgments are true and just because he has he is true and just. We worship God for who he is, but we also are called to worship God for what he has done. In the context of Revelation, God has judged the earthly and spiritual agents of persecution. Those who have persecuted God's People, those who have sought the destruction of God's church, both spiritual agents and human agents are judged by God. And we lift our praises for him for what he has done to answer the question of Revelation 6. How long, O Lord, till you bring your righteousness to this earth and vindicate your name and your saints? Brothers and sisters, one of these days you and I will spend eternity worshiping and praising God, the call is to begin now to lift our voices and praising God for who he is and praising God for what he has done in our lives. So there's a song of worship because God is a true and righteous judge. There's a song of worship that comes in the context of a wedding song. The wedding song opens with praise to God for he reigns. It says there in, in verse six, he says, hallelujah, for our Lord God almighty reigns, not just some random God out there who is almighty and seated on the throne, but our God, your God, the God who has called you to be his children, the God who has chosen you out of the sinfulness of this world to be redeemed by the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your God your almighty God, your omnipotent God is seated upon the throne and he reigns. He's reigning today. Sometimes it seems like the dragon and the demonic forces of this world hold the keys to the kingdom, but make no mistake, 
He reigns today. And we await that glorious day where we see that reign in its fullness. We see that rule in his fullness. For the, for the people of God, for those called, those who love him, that will be a glorious day where we will lift our hallelujahs high, where our words of worship, our songs of worship will echo from the far reaches of the universe as we praise God for his rule upon the throne. For those who have sold their souls to the dragon and his beasts, that will be a fearful day as they will see him as the judge reigning upon his throne. But we are the children of God. So let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory that he reigns. And then the action that God shows in this, he says, for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. When we think about wedding imagery in the scripture, we need to think about first century Jewish wedding imagery. You know, we date for a while, we get engaged, which is still kind of temporary, and then we say, I do, which oftentimes, unfortunately, in our world today can be temporary as well. But in the time of John, when he was writing, in the cultural context in which he was writing, oftentimes there was an agreement to marry, a betrothal period in which the price, the dowry was paid, and then the consummation of the marriage, which involved the feast. So a man and a woman most likely would have their marriage arranged by the parents of the bride and of the groom. And then... Once the money for the dowry had been raised, which was not a purchase of another person, what it was is was a was a uh, declaration that you will suffer economic harm by this person leaving your house. So we will pay you for the economic harm that you will suffer because you've lost a pair of hands working in the house. Once that was happened, once that dowry was paid, you were betrothed. And back then a betrothal and engagement was as legally binding as the marriage itself. But during that betrothal period, the groom would go to wherever the household was going to be set up and he would prepare the house for the bride. And then on the day of the wedding, when all preparations were finished, the groom would go and get the bride. There would be a big parade going to the new home and there would be a big feast as they gathered around the table to celebrate the wedding. Brothers and sisters, from before the foundation of the world, God declared that the church would be Christ's bride. The dowry was paid when Christ took on flesh and dwelt among us and paid the penalty for sin. He is there now preparing a place for you. He declared it in John 14. He has gone away from us so that he can prepare a place for us. And one day he will come and we will proceed with him to the glorious wedding feast of the Lamb. He said to his disciples as he gathered around the Last Supper, he said, I will partake of this meal again when we gather in heaven around the table that is presented for us here. And so we worship God Because it is sure, it is secure that he will come and gather us 
and we will partake of the wedding feast of the Lamb. He will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death to that table that He has set up for us where He will pour His anointing oil over us and we will feast with Him forever. The imagery for this comes from Isaiah 25 and from Matthew 22 where Jesus talks about wedding feasts. But there is a question in this as we consider the bride within this picture of the wedding feast. She's she's dressed in finery. It's white, bright, clean linen is given to her to wear. This is in contrast to the gaudy gold and sequins and jewels that the, the prostitute of Babylon is described as wearing in the previous. And then it's declared that she prepares herself by becoming righteous, and yet righteousness is given to her. So which is correct? Does the church prepare herself for righteousness? Or does God, through Jesus, make the church righteous? The answer is a clear and resounding yes. We cannot be righteous without God, without his saving act. And yet once he makes us righteous, the necessary response is the pursuit of righteousness, is the pursuit of holiness. We are covered with Christ's righteousness. He gives us the clothes. But we are still to pursue righteousness. When God looks at us, even in our stumbling, even in our failures, as we move toward righteousness, he sees us clothed in this righteous garment. And yet we are still, you and I are still called to pursue that righteousness, that holiness. We don't just get our go to heaven free card. We must pursue righteousness in our lives. So then the angelic messenger in light of this declares, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. As apocalyptic vision often does, the same people are presented in two different ways. We, we as the church are the bride of Christ, but we are also the ones who are invited to the feast, invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And this reminds us that we are saved as individuals, but we work together as a church in that pursuit of holiness. That pursuit of holiness is hard. It is difficult. It is not easy as we seek to root out the, the claws and the thorny roots of sin in our life. But we don't do it alone. We have the power of the Holy Spirit as God works in us, as we work out holiness. But the Holy Spirit has also placed us together in it as individuals in a group of people who encourage one another to holiness, who encourage one another to righteousness, who hold each other accountable so that we can stand before God as his glorious bride, dressed in the fine linen and bright and clean garments of the righteousness that God has prepared for us. We will spend eternity worshiping God for who he is. And we will spend eternity worshiping God for what he has done. Those who have come out of Babylon are called to rejoice over her fall because God is just and true. Because God is powerful, because God is who he is. And we will have an eternal, or an eternal reminder as the smoke of her judgment ascends forever. We will have an eternal reminder of God's justice 
of God's mercy, of God's grace, as we will spend eternity considering, contemplating, and seeking the glory of our salvation, seeking to know it. Your hope is in God and in nothing else. As you testify to Jesus and his gospel transformation through obedience and witness, you do so, you do a prophetic work in this world. That's what that that difficult phrase at the very end for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Working out your righteousness, working out your salvation involves that dual, the, the two sides of the coin that we've talked about, faithful testimony and faithful obedience. As you live a life of faithful testimony and faithful obedience in this world, you are doing the work of prophecy, not telling the future, but calling to repentance, calling the world to repentance. As you do this, as you do that, beware of the temptation to worship the things of this world rather than God. And as the angel says, don't worship me, worship God. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we do thank you for these words. What joy awaits us and yet is ours now also. Lord, we we can worship you today because you, our God, reigns. We can worship you today because you are true and just. You are glorious and powerful. You are merciful and gracious. Lord, lead us to a life of worship. Lead us to a life where our words honor and glorify you. Lead us to a a life where our thoughts honor and glorify you. Lead us to a life where our actions, our deeds, are those good deeds which you have prepared for us from before the foundation of the world. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we go this week, we go into a world that is hostile to the gospel of God, a world that will tempt you at work, at home, in your hobbies, in your fun, tempt you to sin and to compromise God's truth. But God sends this blessing with you as you walk through this world. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.